0: Ooh, the sounds of sweet vibrations. Mm, So sweet they are. I have to say this is one of my favorite, favorite sex toy companies because, one, you have a sweet-ass time. But also, I mean, they have so many different options for you. And look how pretty and fun they are. They're bright colors. They do all kinds
1: of exciting things. There's one that goes around your clit in like surround sound. There's one (laughs) that simulates um, cunnilingus. It
0: doesn't vibrate. It
1: kind of blows
0: air. I love these. Also, all of them are waterproof. All of them are rechargeable. They come with a discreet travel case, USB charging cable. I mean, this really is absolutely amazing. Plus, there's a lifetime warranty. So, if you're looking to have a sweet time with Sweet Vibrations... For a long time. For a very long time. Mm-hmm. You can check them out on Instagram at Sweet Vibrations and online. Visit SweetVibes.Toys. And we have a little promo code for you. We Do it's wild love, and you get 15% off at checkout. That adds up. Have some fun. Woo! On this episode, we sit down with Dr. Justin LeMiller. He wrote the book, Tell Me What You Want, and it's the biggest study that's been done on human fantasy. So if you've ever wondered if your fantasy is normal, or if it's weird, or if you have shame around it, or you think that maybe I should never fantasize about that again. Or if you want to try something new in the bedroom and fantasize with your partner, we cover all of these topics and we laugh a lot. It's really educational and, you know, maybe you'll pick up some new fantasies. I hope you guys enjoy this episode.
1: Okay, here we are in the studio with the great... Justin LaMiller. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love him so much. He's a columnist for Playboy. He writes for Vice. What I love about Justin LaMiller is he's a person who crosses data and social science over for lay readers about sex, and they need it. We need it. Thank you, Justin.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited you're here. I read your book, Tell Me What You Want. Is that correct? That's correct. On an airplane. Oh, and it's so good you guys it's all about fantasies and basically how all fantasies are normal and you spoke
1: to over 4,000 Americans and asked them about their sexual fantasies.
2: I didn't speak to them personally. You didn't speak to them personally. I <laughs> collected their you just data. just sat down. Yes.
1: I just talked to them <laughs> face to face. Can you imagine? Oh, my God.
2: Well, that's kind of how Alfred Kinsey did it I back know. in the day.
1: But. Okay. Let's just talk a little bit more about your credentials. You're a Kinsey Institute fellow, and you taught for a while at
2: Uh, I taught at Harvard for a few years. Mm -hmm. I have also taught at Colorado State University and Ball State University. I kind of have made the rounds academically.
1: And one of the other things that I love about Justin, other than the fact that he writes for Vice and Playboy and crosses science over for the layperson, is that you walked away from the academy. You said, this isn't working for my lifestyle. This isn't...
2: Sexy enough. It's not to um, speak ill of academics, right? But uh, I I was in it for 10 years and I, I gave it the old college try, but it just wasn't quite right for me in terms of my what I wanted to do with my career, and then also increasingly like what they want you to spend your time on the longer you're in the academy. It was just pulling me away from the actual research and education that I actually wanted to be doing.
1: I think this is one of the things that has really inspired me about you. Um, I mean, we both try to cross social science over and use it to change people's lives. But I love that you made a decision based on how do I get this messaging across the best and have the nicest life for myself. Thank you for being that example for so many people. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, let's talk about- Let's get into this. Tell me what you want. Great title. Titles are so important. I first met you before this book came out.
2: We had coffee in Central Park. Oh we my did. God, isn't
1: that lovely? It was so nice. I mean, it's not every day that like a handsome sex researcher gets in touch with you and says like, I would like to meet with you. And it was like a sonnet. We had, we had a talk about writing and your work, and I was so excited to meet somebody who was a Kinsey Fellow and has all the knowledge that you have and was so committed that everybody needed to know this stuff. Okay, tell us about, tell me what you want.
2: So for this book, I surveyed 4,175 Americans from all 50 states. It took almost two years to collect the data uh, because I wasn't paying people to do it. Uh, as you've probably discussed before, you know there's no funding for sex research in yeah. the United States unless you want to study STDs That's or it. the negative side of sex. If it's
0: punitive, we'll fund it.
2: Yep. But if you want to study sex fantasies, there is no money in that. So getting, I want to
0: slam my head into this microphone. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> probably <will>.
2: <laughs> But so, so to get four thousand people to tell you about their fantasies, it, it takes a while. Yeah. Um, when when you don't have some incentive to give them other than just the goodwill that they get from participating in research. So it took a long time to get the data, but I asked them extensive questions about their favorite fantasy of all time, hundreds of people, places, and things they might have ever fantasized about, and then their personalities, their demographics, their sexual histories, so that I could look at what our fantasies say about us.
0: And their like political status too, right?
2: I collected that as well. I collected everything I could think of.
0: I want to dive into that, like the findings that came up around being... Democratic or Republican and what the their sexual fantasies are like.
1: And let's also just go through the really common sexual fantasies. And just to step back a minute, the big picture is that, I mean, people didn't really study sexual fantasies until Nancy Friday did it in the 70s, which blew everybody's mind. And then there was this long period where the only place we learned about sexual fantasies was maybe in like letters to penthouse or mm, whatever right, right? I, re- I remember this from when I was a kid and then you came along this was like the first big intervention and assessment of sexual fantasies in decades am I right
2: there was one other one. It was a British book written a few years ago by by, by a guy named Brett Carr who wrote mm. uh, a book called "Who's Been Sleeping in Your Head." Um, but it was a very mm-hmm. psychoanalytic, take
1: and it on and it was fantasies. not in the U.S. But in terms of the U.S., your big contribution is you have got people talking and thinking about sexual
2: fantasies again that was the goal. (laughs) You
1: did it. Crushed it. Okay, so tell
0: us what the common fantasies are. Because there's like seven different themes that you came up with, right?
2: So I looked at people's favorite fantasies of all time and then tried to extract broader themes that were there and I found that there were seven themes that seemed to characterize people's sexual fantasies. I actually did a follow-up study Recently, that's under review at an academic journal right now, and I found that those seven themes accounted for ninety-six or ninety-seven percent of people's fantasies in the follow-up study. So, these are really the the seven core themes.
1: Before you tell us the seven core themes, just clarify fantasy is really normal right people used to think it meant there was something wrong with your sex life women especially were scared to say that they fantasize it It might like bruise a man's ego Mm -hmm. nancy friday tells that story of a guy says to her during sex tell me what you're thinking about and she tells him it involves like a football game and a gangbang and a blanket and and he gets up out of bed, puts on his clothes, leaves, and breaks up with her.
0: But fantasies are normal, right? Totally normal. Yeah, and they say, like, something's wrong with your relationship if there's a, if you have a fantasy. And it's like, no, this is normal. And it can be fun, and it can spice up the bedroom, and it can be something that you can enjoy with your partner. Or it's just a fantasy that's only in your head, and you don't even have to do it.
2: Yep. Fantasies can take a lot of different forms. Almost everybody has them. 97 to 98% of people report having sex fantasies.
0: Okay. I feel sorry for that other 2%. No (laughs) judgments, but... This is actually interesting because we talked about this last night. We were at the same event and um, someone on the panel was like, well, they're lying because clearly they do fantasize, but there is some sort of...
2: There is something Neurological
0: called... Neurological disorder or something?
2: Yes, it's called aphantasia, and it's this inability to voluntarily visualize mental imagery.
1: Aphantasia.
2: Yes. And so these people can't have sexual fantasies, literally. Right. But they also can't fantasize or create a mental picture of anything else either. Okay. Um, but this is an area that is very new. I the first paper i've seen on this topic was published i think in 2015 so there's not really any solid research or data on it yet but i think that a big chunk of those two to three percent of people who don't have fantasies just actually can't they have can't
1: them. fantasize period so most of us who do not have mm, a us are sexually fantasizing during the day at night all during sex all the time tell us about what we're fantasizing you told us we're normal yeah tell us what <laughs> we're fantasizing about mm.
2: well I, I should say most people fantasize daily or at least several times a week and they do it in all different kinds of settings whether it's socially appropriate or not I'm <laughs>
0: uh, sure I do it daily yeah. <laughs> I'm, a I'm
1: daily sure fantasizer. that I do it in highly socially inappropriate context yeah that's part of the thrill for some of you do it you're daily you fantasize daily
0: yeah 1000% I think my
1: husband fantasizes maybe like four times daily I think I do too like it's a lot
2: yeah But a lot of people do it... I'm going
0: to start counting now.
2: ...because they're bored. You know, they don't have anything else to think about. So they just... Their mind goes towards sex. And you can be anywhere Mm. where that happens. So a lot of people, for example, report fantasizing while they're in the middle of religious services or or some other setting... If you want to improve
0: a bar or bat mitzvah... (laughs) (laughs) Imagine having sex with a hot guy across the room or a girl across the room. It gets way more entertaining.
1: Okay, so people fantasize during religious services... They fantasize when the, else? On the f- commute?
2: Yes. While they're driving or on the subway, they fantasize uh, before they go to bed at night. A lot of people say it just helps them to relax and de-stress. Uh, people do it when they're in the shower. It's, it's It can happen anywhere, anytime.
0: Okay, and about what? Let's get into those okay. seven themes.
2: So there were three of these themes that almost everybody reported fantasizing about. You know, you're talking about more than 90% of people who say they've ever fantasized about it.
1: That's like a social scientist's dream to have 90% of people doing something.
2: And it's rare when it's you get rare numbers that high. Yeah,
0: go on.
2: So the first of these was multi-partner sex, which I'm defining as three or more people having sex at the same time. I
0: fantasize about that. Such a normal normal. fantasy.
2: I'm normal, You're actually pretty vanilla.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we'll keep going. Let's see what
2: else.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's just step one here. (laughs) We're just stepping our toe in.
2: And I should say threesome was the most popular form of group sex, I think, because most people have never had a threesome. It's less than one in five Americans who say they've ever done it before. And if you look specifically at women, it's only about one in 10 women in nationally representative data who say they've ever had a threesome. So Excuse it's a pretty me. rare thing. Wow. I
0: would think a, I think a lot of people would have threesomes.
2: Well, a lot of people... No, more than that. People who identify as anything other than straight have a lot of threesomes, right? right. So I've done some other research on... <sighs> Threesomes and sexual orientation, and uh, especially people who identify as bisexual, uh, almost half of them report having had threesomes before. So, living
1: the life. Hey, it happens to be bisexuality visibility day. And hey, so, that was is. quite a statistic that you just threw out for us. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so multi-partner sex, very common sexual fantasy.
2: The next one is what I call power control and rough sex. That's all of the BDSM themes where people are... Yep, that one too. ...playing with, with power, <laughs> mixing pleasure right. and pain. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of different forms. Okay. Next was what I call novelty adventure and variety where people are just sort of spicing it up in the That's bedroom. That's the
0: subtitle of my life. I'm about <laughs> getting like an A-plus on this whole fantasy thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep, that'll do.
1: Okay, so people are getting... Variety, novelty, and adventure from their fantasies. What if you just right.
0: combined all three? Now I'm fantasizing. See, you just take the first three and you combine it all Jam into them one all together. sexual experience it's like BDSM a eronymous bosch threesome
2: <laughs> and i should say these themes are not mutually exclusive like you can combine them in a lot of ways so for somebody for example a gangbang fantasy could be combining all three of those elements right there where it's a new experience for them it's multi-partner and there might be a dominant submission dynamic involved there wow that okay so
1: so far we have multi-partner BDSM. BDSM and power and, and novelty. novelty. Novelty and adventure. An adventure. Okay, give us an example of a novelty adventure variety fantasy.
2: A big one there is having sex in a public setting. That mm. was actually like
1: about location.
2: Yes. But especially locations where there's a risk of somebody like walking in on you or stumbling by and happening to see you. People don't actually want to be observed. They just want to know that they could potentially be observed because that heightens the thrill.
1: That heightens the thrill for people. Let's go on to our, are we now at number five? Number four. four. I'm rushing us ahead. (laughs) Sorry.
2: Taboo is the the theme of number four. So it's doing something that you've been told you shouldn't do, whether that's by your culture, your religion, your your family or social network. Right. Um, so so obviously that can take a lot of different forms, but uh, just doing something that is quote unquote bad, right? Okay. It's a big turn on for a lot of people.
1: Right. So that yeah. would be like cheating if people have a thing they think that's bad or... It could be... milk, uh, or... I don't know. Tell
2: us. That, so a lot of the things I categorized in there would be things that psychologists call paraphilias, right? These oh, unusual right. sexual mm-hmm. interests. Like
1: we might call them fetishes.
2: Fetishes or a big like part... Like a foot
0: fetish or something?
2: Foot fetishes, definitely. Being peed on? Yep. Bodily Golden fluid showers. fetishes. Golden showers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also voyeurism fantasies where you're, you know, sort of spying on somebody else or Uh, a couple while they're having sex or exhibitionism fantasies where people are exposing themselves. All of those kinds of things kind of fell into this category.
1: Of taboo.
2: And then there's also the incest themes too that fall in there as well.
1: Okay. Wow. Yeah. There's
2: a lot. Wow.
1: (laughs) Wow. And then what's our next category after taboo?
2: Then it becomes lighter. It's the passion and romance. Passion and romance. I like that one. It's where people have fantasies about meeting a deeper emotional need. And it's often about just connecting with another person. Mm. And I, I find that most people, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation, have fantasies about meeting those emotional needs, right? It's not just a mechanical sex act they're fantasizing about. On some level, they're trying to meet some need, whether that's emotional connection or feeling confident or competent sexually uh, or feeling loved.
1: Can you give us an example of one of these fantasies that one of your um, study participants described to you that falls into this category?
2: Sure. So this would be a lot of the fantasies where people describe this very romantic setting of sex on the beach and they God. make love all night long. You know, and they use the nice term candle. make love rather uh-huh. than have sex. Good right?
0: champagne, yes. it's a like music playing. And it's this
2: multi-sensory experience where you've got the sound of the ocean and then and then you feel this like warmth and love and so forth.
0: That that's <laughs> got one
2: it. one way it can go. But
1: okay. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. They're
2: not all that Romantic. Uh, you know, sometimes it's about rekindling something with an ex that, uh, mm. you know, someone who got away and you, mm. you just want to feel that connection again with that person that, yeah. that you've been missing.
0: Right. Okay. These sometimes I think about having sex with my exes because I'm so much better at sex now that I'd be like,
2: <laughs> they wouldn't be able to handle it.
0: Though. Oh, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's not many that I actually really want to, but just to be like, <laughs> see what you boo boo
1: what you're missing that kind of thing
0: yeah it's I think it's more of like an ego thing for me not even like like it's just I would just rock your world blow some mind, and I'm pretty sure that's just gonna stay a fantasy in my head I don't think I'm actually going to do that because like I said there's I, I love all of you guys who are listening to this I'm just not i digging myself into a hole anyways <laughs> that I'm was just, my end game okay no, let's continue <laughs> I do love all of my exes though I just don't know if I'm gonna have sex with you Next. but you can fantasize about it yeah, sometimes I fantasize about it. So
2: that's, that's that normal. category
1: yes. of yes. romantic. What did you call it? Romantic?
2: Yeah, it's, the, it's sort of the passion and romance passion and emotional and romance. fulfillment.
1: Right. But I can see how that would intersect with thrill, too. Like, yeah. for some people, passion and romance are very thrilling. Okay, well, I love the way these categories kind of um, cross-pollinate each mm-hmm. other.
2: And, and also, it's sometimes... Going back to an earlier point in your relationship where you really felt passion for your partner, right? Because we right. know in long-term relationships, passion declines. Mm-hmm. Actually, the kind of sad statistic is that it starts to decline after about a year, yeah. right? So passion goes up for a year and then it just drops after yep. that. Not to say that you can't have long-term passion. It just requires work. But right. a lot of people fantasize about how do I get that novelty mm-hmm. and excitement. And they, but,
0: think I mean, they, it, they think it's supposed to be there just naturally. Like the passion's always going to be there. No, it's going to take some work. Like your companionship is going to take work. Work and the eroticism within the relationship is going to take work. And fantasizing can help with that. It can very much. So, what's our next
2: category? That's the non-monogamy category.
1: So, you're separating non-monogamy from the other categories like variety and novelty and adventure. It needs its own category. It's so common.
2: Yes. Now, again, like I said, these these things can overlap with right. some of the other categories. But this, but is you where- felt it
1: deserved its own special consideration because it was coming up.
2: So much, right? So Say there were-
0: more. You heard it here. It's not <laughs> just me, everybody.
2: Nope. So, again, you're, you're very vanilla because you have all these fantasies. See, I'm so vanilla. Is. Everyone <laughs> thinks I'm real freaky, <laughs> but really
0: I'm just normal as hell. As can be. hmm so,
2: so open relationships, like polyamory, swinging, and also cuckolding, right? where Oh, love. Yes. Where people are fantasizing about watching their partner have sex with someone else. These are all extraordinarily common themes uh, in people's fantasies. And so I put them together in their own category.
1: Of non-monogamy. Yes. So how often, how common would you say that fantasies of non-monogamy are within the top seven 90-something, did you say 98% of people fantasize sexually? Yes. Yeah. So did you go in order of the most common to the least common?
2: I'm going in order of sort of what people listed as their favorite fantasy of all time. They're kind
1: of ranked. There's kind of a ranking
2: there. It's not to say that, um, you know, the ones at the bottom are are uncommon. Right. Uh, Just that as a share of people's favorite fantasies yep. of all time, they're not quite as prevalent. Right. But, but for example, if you look at something like fantasies about being in an open relationship, it's two-thirds to three-quarters of men and women who have fantasized about that. Um, similar numbers for for polyamory, right? So most people mm-hmm. have have had that thought crossed their right. mind before.
1: I want to get to something that um, there used to be like a big feminist debate about this that women used to get really shamed for having fantasies, for having um, what we call rape fantasies or coerced sex fantasies um, and other kinds of fantasies. And we had to have a whole discussion. I remember in the 70s and 80s that just because you fantasize it doesn't mean that you necessarily want to do it. And I think when we think of fantasy that way, which you helped us understand again, these fantasies are so freeing. But otherwise, did you find that people, if they didn't know that, were judging themselves sometimes harshly for fantasies? Or do you hear from people who say, My God, your book set me free? I used to feel so bad about talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean I hear both of those things. And and I see the shame coming out in my data, right? There are Mm -hmm. lots of people who feel ashamed, embarrassed, guilty about the things they fantasize about. And the more of those negative emotions they feel, the less likely they are to share their fantasies with a partner or act on them, and the less happy they are in their relationships. So we really need to deal with and tackle that shame and embarrassment so that we can be happier healthier and freer when it comes to sex
1: and just stop thinking that just because you're having a fantasy about something you're deviant right there's some people who might fantasize about feet and really they're totally into feet but there's some people who might fantasize about feet and the idea of somebody like putting a foot in their face doesn't it's not what they really want to have happen right what is that about can you explain that to us
2: so there's a difference between a fantasy and a desire right a fantasy is just a thought that pops into your head um And and you can have conscious control over it. You can direct your fantasies if you want. But a fantasy is just a thought or image that turns you on. A desire is something that you truly want to do. And when I look at people's favorite fantasies, about 80% of them say that their favorite fantasy is a desire. So it's something they want to act on. But most people have hundreds of, of different fantasies over the course of their lives, maybe thousands. And they don't necessarily want to act on all or, or even most of them.
0: Right? And then when it becomes a desire and then you do it, it doesn't have to always stay a desire, right? It's like you no. can just try it on and see how that went and see how it feels.
2: And that can go different directions for people. So for example, if you had this big fantasy that was a desire, you acted on it and it didn't go well it might not be so much of a fantasy <laughs> anymore. anymore. Uh, and, or, yeah. or maybe if it was really good, maybe it becomes an even bigger fantasy.
1: It becomes one. So I went to star one year, the year that it was in Montreal. I don't know if you were there. And Christian Joyel gave a talk about fantasies. And he talked about how really, whatever you fantasize about, like you, He had categories, his, his sample was not as big as yours. It wasn't as systematic, but he found that there were only really two things that were unusual Mm -hmm. and that were not common. Um, And they were fantasies about animals and fantasies about children. And he said, if you're fantasizing about anything other than those two things, you're just like, there's, there's really nothing unusual. Right. The, those it, were the unusual fantasies and everything else, there was such a broad range of normal, which it seems like is what you're getting at with your themes.
2: And my data largely map onto what he found. So pedophilia fantasies, uh, for example, my data were very rare. There's one other thing I would add to that list of very rare fantasies. Oh, I can't wait. Which is This is a good one. Necrophilia. Um,
1: Pretty rare.
2: Almost no one. That, that was actually the rarest fantasy in my entire data set with less than 1% of people <laughs> <Can> saying they you- <laughs> fantasy. Describe
0: what life. that is for people that don't know.
2: It's having sex with a corpse, yeah. basically, or it, it. it. <laughs> it could also be for example and i've seen media reports about you know somebody using a deceased person's bones as a sex toy essentially Whoa. so it can And then how do you,
0: how do you get those?
2: Well, so
1: <laughs> how do you get the bones? Yeah.
2: So there's some interesting research on necrophilia. Again, this is super rare, but there are actually different kinds of necrophiles. So there's one category that we call hom- homicidal necrophiles. These are people who actually commit murder as a vehicle for gratifying their sexual urges.
1: Would that be like Jeffrey Dahmer? Cool. Perhaps. Yeah, Perhaps. but that's
2: super, 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 super
1: rare. rare. Uh, Thank God.
2: And then the other is, you know, sort of more the opportunistic type. And so a lot of these individuals, and again, super rare, um, but they sometimes work in morgues or in other places. In funeral where homes they where they
1: can, it's bodies. like has sometimes guys with foot
0: fetishes work selling shoes they find their niche
2: and then there's one other you know i feel like i would
0: want a, a foot fetish guy to give me a massage like he should go work at a massage massage a foot massage massage parlor. And give a foot massage like yeah. reflexology i mean i don't really want him to get off or get a bone or anything but like i bet they give a really mean foot massage mm-hmm. really like loving loving they know where to touch it like they're worshiping my foot mm. foot worship
2: i know it's so if thing. you just find a guy who's like Really into feet and into fin dom. Like, wouldn't that be perfect, right? (laughs) Somebody who gives perfect foot massages and gives you all their money.
0: Yes. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I think you found my niche. I
1: think you just (laughs) hit the sweet spot for her. (laughs) We know. Not to say too much. Okay, I have a little story about necrophilia. Okay. I mean, it's not a personal story. It's from an interview that I did. I interviewed this woman I called her, I think I called her Virginia in my book. She was 93 years old and she was one of the original Kinsey study Mm. interviewees, right? Very cool. So when she was a young girl, when Kinsey was researching sex in the human female, which was published in 1953.
2: Yep. Just celebrated its, I think, 66th anniversary.
1: She was in a psychology class. And the way she described it to me, is she wasn't doing that well in the psychology class. And the professor said, for those of you who would like some extra credit, there is a very important doctor, Dr. Kinsey, and he's doing a study. And if you want to get a better grade was the implication, you should go talk to him. So she goes, she's a very sheltered Catholic girl, really. She's maybe 18 years old, and she goes, and she doesn't remember if she's interviewed at this point. She doesn't remember if it was um, William Pomeroy. She doesn't think it was Kinsey, but it was somebody who worked closely Mm -hmm. with Kinsey on the Sex and the Human Female Project. And so... When you're asking people about fantasies and their sexual practices, you ask open-ended questions, presuming that they already have, so that you give them room to say that they haven't rather than forcing them into a corner where they feel ashamed to say okay. that they have, right? Mm-hmm. So she describes being asked, when was the first time? So the original Kinsey interviews asked people, when was the first time that you, so that people could say, well, I didn't, right? Right. But without feeling bad if they said, yes, I did. So, first he asks her, When was the first time you danced with a boy? When was the first time you played cards? When was the first time you smoked? And she describes the questions getting to her like progressively a little weirder until he says (laughs) to her, He says to her, When was the first time that you had sex with a corpse? (laughs) (laughs)
0: And <laughs> she said, what? And she said, what? 18 <laughs> years Last week? Girl, How did you know? What are you talking
1: about? And she said she was so embarrassed she couldn't say the words have sex. <laughs> so she said, <laughs> do you mean to tell me that people actually... Have an, <laughs> <With> an <affair. laughs> have an affair or with a dead body having an affair
0: with a dead body that's even more terrifying
1: so you sex researchers have been scaring us and
0: thrilling us about <laughs> feel like for, since at least the early 1950s i talked to somebody last night what is the um fetish of throwing up on someone uh, or being thrown up on
2: yes it, it- Um, Emetophilia, I believe. I think that's what it's called. Yes.
0: I'd actually never heard of that before. Yeah? I don't... I'm (laughs) not...
2: It's rare. I did actually ask about that on my survey. Oh, And did anybody
0: fantasize about it? Yeah, it's
2: one of the, you know, 1% or less types of fantasies so super 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 rare oh it's, i
0: just i'm sorry i can i can just smell like the vomit right now <laughs> it's okay it's not for you it's no. not for me it's, it's not, not for me. you no. um
1: yeah. i remember being really surprised when i learned about the sexual fantasy which is also paraphilia but for some of eating one's own shit mm-hmm. that really shocked me that human sexuality was like that broad a container yeah that
0: that's in there there's a lot in there. My mouth, it's it's like salivating. Okay. Like before I, <laughs> before I throw up, that is, tends to happen.
1: Okay, but if that's your thing that you're into, yeah, just, you're into, no I, no judgment,
0: no judgment whatsoever. I, it's just a, a physical.
1: Response. Okay, look, you are a scientist. We don't want you to like talk out of school. But was there anything that really surprised you, or? that you thought, I know that you're not a person, you're a sex researcher, you're not a person who's going to say, wow, that's weird. But was there anything that you was really unexpected that you unearthed in the data that you collected?
2: I mean, I always have to talk about the human Yeah, cow you have fantasy. to, you have to. The human. It's, the human cow. <laughs> Go on. Um, that was the one fantasy that I really learned about. You know, I collected 4,000 some fantasies and, you know, you know, most I've heard of almost all of them I've heard of before at one point or another but I saw one participant who wrote her favorite fantasy of all time she summed it up in one word as human, <laughs> human cow so oh, wow. I went back and I read <laughs> her entire narrative and right. she describes wanting to be tied up in the center of town and force fed hormones so that she lactates continuously and then uh-huh. people could come and milk her whenever they wanted uh-huh. and also use her sexually whenever they wanted as well okay. so it has these themes of erotic lactation and force. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Sex uh, and involved. yeah, and captivity,
2: yep,
1: right. Okay, and, why does that not sound that
0: weird to me when you explain it? Well, <laughs> when you say human cow, I mean, right. wow, well, the, the visual break of it, it down. Is like, what, what town? Like, she's just tied up in Times <laughs> Square, <laughs> Times Square, and so I, know, the, I just want to say that I love her,
2: yeah, yeah. And, well, it turns out there's a whole genre of porn devoted to it. it it's also called Hugh Cow Hugh Cow for oh, short God. so I just you,
1: love, I'm going to look I this love I human to. sexuality see why we We're do what we so do so
0: imaginatory
2: there's also some
1: imaginative <laughs> imaginative <laughs> But you can call it what you want, Whitney. You're (laughs) among friends. That did not sound right.
2: (laughs) There's even Hugh Cowell erotic fiction, too. So if you just want to, you know, read more about it. Okay, this
1: speaks to the endless creativity of humans as flexible sexual strategists, right? Absolutely. Why? Why?
2: Why? So I think a big part of it is just that we're turned on by novelty and newness. And we're always looking for for something to keep our attention, right? Because the more exposure we have to a given sexual stimulus over time, the more that our arousal to it habituates, meaning it lessens or decreases. And so this is the way that we add novelty to a long-term relationship, or this is the way we keep passion alive is by adding novelty into the relationship, keep adding new and different elements. Just
1: layer it on.
2: This is also why polyamory and open relationships work for a lot of people is because they have that novelty and newness always coming out there and it's also why when you look at trends in porn searches from year to year they're always changing
0: oh my god what's like the most popular trend in porn now do you know? (sighs) Was it hentai? uh, Yeah, you know, the
2: anime porn was definitely very big last year. Um, And and also, this is why we see, you know, popular video games become, like, a really popular porn genre for a year. Like, last year was the year of Fortnite porn. Right,
0: right. Um, That was the thing.
2: But before that, it was, like, Pokemon-themed porn, you know, and it's just, like, it's always changing. I was
0: at the Sex Expo here in Brooklyn yesterday, and they had... These dildos, when it was like fantasy dildos, and it was like an, a tentacle, and the all like a rhino horn, and a, another one looked like a dinosaur of some kind, and it was, oh. I was, it was like art. I could not believe that they were able to mold dildos like that. <laughs>
2: And they're always tying the Serving sex toys, toys to the cultural zeitgeist, right? So when The Walking Dead was like at its peak, there were like Walking Dead-themed sex toys. like if you Zombie
1: to, dildos. It,
2: yeah, it's sort, of, it's sort of the necrophilia it's, kind it's of slow. thing. Mm. <laughs> it's really
1: <laughs> slow and dumb. <laughs> and it wants to eat your brain. <laughs> okay, one of my favorite sexual fantasies of all time that I read about, and just speaking to creativity and how we like um, sort of, grab things from our environment to cycle into our fantasies is from My Secret Garden by Nancy Friday, which came out in 1972, Mm -hmm. 1973. And she was telling people that women had sexual fantasies and people didn't want to believe that women had sexual fantasies. And they thought she was making it up because they didn't really believe that women had a sexuality separate from men. And in saying that women fantasize, she was basically saying, no, female sexuality is a thing separate from how men feel about women. Women have their own game going on. Once again, right, I want so to slam like, my head into the <laughs> microphone. I know. It's just, so anyway, she wrote this book with hundreds of sexual fantasies and she to pr- prove her point, she was like, oh, you think that women don't fantasize? Well, let me tell you and here's what they are. Okay, one of my favorite ones was a woman who fantasized that she was being fingered by an octopus from a Salvador Dali painting. Wow. I bet an octopus would be really good at that. Give it up for her. Yeah, respect (laughs) props to that woman props to the human sexual imagination
0: Mm -hmm. so I want to go into the uh, forced sex fantasy Mm -hmm. and don't forget about Democrats and Republicans and I don't want to forget about that either I just have a funny story but I do want to I do want to hear more about that yeah, okay. tell us about the, the,
1: tell us about fantasies that might give people shame or they might think, yeah. oh my God, I'm a feminist. How can I fantasize about this? Or no, I'm a really sensitive guy. Why am I? Mm-hmm. People are often really troubled by their fantasies and I, I love how you help them feel freer about it.
2: And forced sex is one of those fantasies where there's a lot of shame tied up in it. And I think especially now in the Me Too era, mm-hmm. there are a lot of women who... Have had fantasies about forced sex, who feel like they're somehow traitors to the cause by fantasizing about forced sex, but wanting to be vocal and supportive of of victims of real life sexual assault. You guys
1: fantasizing
0: about it does not mean that you want to do it. And it's the beauty of fantasy, right? And but if it is some sort of sorry, some sort of desire, it's like a consensual forced sex to where you guys are both agreeing to this, you know, act.
2: And I think it's important just first to normalize forced sex fantasies. So two thirds of the women in my survey reported having fantasized about sex being forced on them before, but this isn't a fantasy that just women have, Uh, it was almost as common among people who identified as gender non-binary and then also a majority of men, more than half of the men I surveyed, had fantasized about sex being forced on them before. This is a right. pervasive theme in our right. fantasies. It's not just something women fantasize about. sex
1: is about power, among yeah. other
2: things. And most people want to give up power yeah. rather than take power in their they fantasies. They have to be in control in
1: all lives. day. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so fantasies are this space where what you can rehearse... All these things.
2: You can be whatever you want to be, whoever you want to be. It's like playing dress up. Yeah.
0: How fun. And you can relieve
2: yourself of, you know, the the responsibilities and so forth.
0: So what do you say to these people who say, what do you
1: say, what are your thoughts and how do you want to talk to the people who are listening right now who, who are feeling like I shouldn't fantasize about this? This is a bad thing to want.
2: So what I say is first... Most women have this fantasy. Most men have it too. It's normal. Uh, it's, it's normal across gender. Uh, also, we should stop calling them rape fantasies because it's mm-hmm. not an accurate term. Right. And that's where I think people start conflating the fantasy with the reality of with sexual With the crime, yeah. Those are two totally different things. Right. And in a four-sex fantasy... I also like the term consensual non-consent to describe those Okay, fantasies. right.
0: Consensual non-consent. Because I like that.
2: in your fantasy, you're in control of the narrative. You're in control of who your partner is, the terms under which it takes mm-hmm. place, when it ends, what your limits are. And as a result, it has no relationship or reflection of real-life sexual assault where somebody is totally powerless. And anybody mm-hmm. who's
1: into BDSM will not be surprised to hear you say this, yeah. right? Where there's often consensual non-consent and that's what safe words are for and that's what sometimes you know jettisoning a safe word is for right so
0: all right what are some of the safe words that you've heard um, oh, my just...
2: favorite one, I have a, a couple of friends who are swingers, and they told me that their safe word is lasagna.
1: Lasagna. Um, <laughs> Sexy word.
2: it's a word that's just never otherwise going to come up during sex. Right. Um, it's so
1: funny, that meme that's like VDSM, the place where yes means... Uh, yes means no, no means yes, and pineapple means stop it. Yes. <laughs> <'Cause> that's the <laughs> same no riff. longer. Pineapple. Pineapple is yeah.
2: another popular one. Um, uh, so I, I've asked people this question before. Oklahoma. Um, I,
1: pineapple, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, lasagna. Will you ever feel the same I'm way Garfield. about those places and things again? Garfield. No, stop. <laughs> that just shuts it down. If anything shuts down my libido, it's Garfield. <laughs> I think that's the point, though. Is
0: that the point? <laughs> just, Please stop Garfield. (laughs) 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 So I have this like terrifying, um, my imagination is strong and it goes, it runs wild. And I am terrified of somebody coming in to my apartment or house or wherever I am and torturing me or raping me or, or chopping me up. And like, it's, it's, I can come up with 75 different ways that they're going to kill me and it's going to be terrible. And, I watched this movie recently where this guy had this intruder mask on and he was raping this woman and it was terrifying and and horrible. I never want to watch it again, ever. Um, But anyways, when I was thinking about this with the forced sex fantasy or consensual non-consent, we recently got a box from Spicy Subscriptions. Yes. Um, and in that box was an intruder mask. And it was this, this was in the morning and I had Aubrey with me and he was like going through the box and looking at it. And he pulled out this intruder mask and like, it's in no sexual content text whatsoever, right. like getting ready. I was late for the airport to come here and he like put the mask on and he like grabbed me like playfully. And I looked at him and I was like, oh no. No, <laughs> no, 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 Shit got no, real no. fast. I was like, absolutely not. Take that off. And then even later on in the day, I was like, that was terrifying. I don't ever want you to put that mask on again. The intruder mask is not for you. Oh my God, no. That's- but I can see how it would be hot. Like my mind understands how that would be sexy. But I think I just have this big fear. And even outside yeah. of the sexual context, I was like, oh my God, this
2: is horrible. And for sex, for even for the people for whom it is a desire, right, where it's something that they actually want to do, a lot of them don't want to act on it because in acting on it, you're giving up some of that control to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's where the scary part comes in is, are they going to stick to your limits and so forth?
1: And respect that. And I think that that um, intruder mask to me, because I got the same box and I opened it up and I was doing a little Instagram story about it. And I just (laughs) said like, all hail the creativity of the human mind to take a scary thing and to, like, make hay, like, make lemonade... From something terrifying, the human sexual imagination is just um, so flexible that way. I could see,
0: like, you know how people are really terrified of clowns,
2: mm-hmm. like our- <laughs> so. Clown porn is a thing too. I clown
0: porn is a thing. Okay,
1: okay. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Well,
2: clown porn. There's also related to that are balloon fetishes, right? Because clown, clowns and balloons often go together. They often go together. Um, but yeah, there are some people who are turned on by it, and so.
0: And w- what do you mean a balloon fetish? How did the, how does that work?
2: Well, they can be into different things. It could be sort of like the feel or texture of the balloon. For some people it's also popping balloons
0: Mm. uh, is
2: what turns them on. right? Uh, I was reading a case report once of this guy who could only get off by hearing the sounds of balloons popping. Wow. Very specific fetish.
1: Very specific and if you're Freudian if you're psychoanalytic in your orientation, yep. <laughs> that would take you down a real rabbit hole with that person for a long time. Yeah. Like, what yep. happened? Was it at a birthday party? Yes. How old were you, like three?
2: I can only imagine what Freud would say or write about internet porn. And oh all my the God. Different themes and what about, about all the women
1: who love being called daddy? Yes. Freud would be so happy about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have a hat that says daddy on it. Mm-hmm. Your Mac daddy hat. Yeah. You I can don't give know. that energy. I can see you giving off that Mac Daddy energy. Yeah. Yeah. That
2: actually ties in with the seventh theme, which we we forgot to mention. Wait, well, let's go to
1: seven. God, thanks for bringing us back on topic.
2: The the gender bending and... erotic flexibility fantasies. Oh, go. So these are the fantasies where people are sort of pushing or playing with the boundaries of their gender role or their sexual orientation. So if you're heterosexually identified, it could be having a bisexual or same-sex fantasy. Um, Also, if you're cisgender, it could be having a fantasy about um, maybe waking up in the body of someone of a different sex or it could be uh, having sex with a trans partner or mm-hmm. it could be cross-dressing or
1: just something. Gen- a lot of women, not a lot of women, but I, I, it is not unusual for me to get a DM from a woman saying, um, a lot of times when I'm having an orgasm, I imagine that I have a penis. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that mm. go. I'm going to yeah. try that. Yeah, try that. Try that See, before. I don't know if anybody listening has have so had that. I so much you have a lot of homework. Yeah, sexual homework. So that falls into that category. Those women who DM me about that are are firmly within category of um, gender-bending fantasies.
2: Yes, unless they, when they're imagining having the penis, if they're, you know, women who are penetrating a male partner, then that sort of uh, that sort of straddles the line between the sort of the power control fantasies and the gender bending fantasies. Okay, so where does
0: pegging play?
2: Yeah. Where is that? So pegging is super popular. Super popular. fantasy, right? Yes.
1: You you wrote about you recently wrote about how are we to understand how pegging has finally entered the mainstream. Yes. Pegging is popular right now and (laughs) squirting is really hot right now. It's like these are like like squirting was like years years ago and pegging is now and they're pegging is for sure now. Yeah. 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 All right so talk to us about our current obsession with pegging and and also what how do you read our obsession with squirting
2: So with pegging a lot of men in fact a majority of the men that I surveyed had had fantasies before about being anally penetrated right mm-hmm. so First, this is just like a very normal thing for guys to want to do regardless of their it's a sexual prostate orientation. There. It feels
1: good. Yeah.
2: So, for some guys, there's that, but there's also sort of the taboo element, right? Mm-hmm. We're told that, you know, the anus is not a sex organ and, and, and it's so, a grave. Right. And so, there's a lot of people who, for them, the taboo part is part of the appeal. But then there's also the BDSM dynamic, right? There, there's mm-hmm. a lot of guys who want to give up control to women we are going yeah. to. Right, that on right, them. right. So it, it's combining a lot of different things all at once. And and also most men that I surveyed had fantasized about sexual submission. Uh, you know, they want to give up power. And yeah. so this is a, a vehicle for combining a whole bunch of unique interests at once. I wrote
1: a Refinery29 um, piece recently called Welcome to My Midlife Crisis on Tinder about going on Tinder at age 53. And you gave me such a good... I went on just for the validation, not for the follow through when a sex therapist told me that she had patients who did it. So I was like, well, this would be a great piece and this would be a great thing to do. So I did. And I heard from so many young men Mm -hmm. and I got a great quote from you about it, which is you said, when men are into older women, let's think about what that really means. We think it's so weird or off script, but you, you basically said that's because we live in a patriarchy. I'm paraphrasing you, but what you said was a lot of men are into handing power over. Men don't want to be in control and have power Mm -hmm. all the time. And that's how you read that phenomenon of younger men and older women, which I thought was such a great reframing from how we pathologize it.
2: Yeah. And and MILF porn, like year over year, is one of the most popular and most searched categories. And you on taught porn me sites. that there's also
0: Gulf porn.
2: Yes. What's that, that like
0: grand, grand, grandma, Grammy.
2: grandpa? Yep.
0: Grammy porn. Grand, grandpa porn.
1: Grandma, I'd like to f. Not just yeah, mom. I'd like to f. And I'm sure I'd like there to is f.
0: some grandfathers out there. I'd like to.
1: So you, f. and you found that for men, they had these fantasies of older women. As they got older, they yep. continued to fantasize about older women. And the older the men were, the more they fantasized about older women. Is that what you?
2: Yeah. And that's consistent with what we see in other research, which is that the desired age of our partners or what we find attractive in terms of age changes as we ourselves age. And more broadly, one of the things I found in my research was that our sexual fantasies in general change Mm -hmm. as we age, which was one of the most interesting things to me. And what I saw was that it was people in their 40s and 50s who had the most adventuresome sexual fantasies. They had the most novelty, Get the most girl. taboo, the most non-monogamy <laughs> fantasies. They they wanted it all.
1: We're out there.
2: And so what this tells me is like most sex researchers are studying college students. I
1: know. Stop it.
2: They're actually the most boring group of people you could They're study so if you want boring. to learn about sex.
1: Sorry. Because I mean, yeah,
2: sex is new to them.
1: Did you read the Lumen study, the study that Lumen, this app for older people, and they found that... Um, people 50 and older reported dramatically higher rates of sexual satisfaction mm-hmm. than people in their 20s, 30s, or 40s. Something to look forward to. And, and you know you're why. saying powered by our crazy fantasies. Yes. Crazy in a good way.
2: But also because people just don't give a fuck anymore at that point, right? Yeah. Uh, they are less insecure about themselves. They don't care as much about what other people think and tired so, of
0: having <laughs> mediocre sex which I see like you've we met talked me. about.
2: And it's also like <laughs> if I'm not if I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? Right? Right. right, So there's all of those things coming together that just push us to to experiment and explore.
0: Okay, uh, so after reading this book and writing this book, love you it. can answer it, you don't have to answer <laughs> it, but has this changed your sexual fantasies at all? My own Yeah. I don't know. Or give you any new ones or new ideas?
2: I haven't actually thought about whether there is a link there. Um, It it could be. I I don't know.
1: Maybe Um, you just have endless files up there now. Like, yeah, right? (laughs) You can access. You're right. Ooh, where is, I'm a little bored. Where Where is that I mean,
2: one? I, I will say it did change the way that I think about my own fantasies, right? So something that's, so so sort of a bias I had when I came into doing the research initially was that I guess I imagine that everybody has sexual fantasies in the same way as me, where when they're fantasizing, it's like they're watching a movie. So it's from this third person perspective. Um, but one of the things I learned and and Talking to people and uh, about the data and giving some workshops on it is that people fantasize from different perspectives. Yes. And for a lot of mm. people, it's sort of the first person POV perspective. And it's like, uh, I I've I don't know that I've ever had that kind of fantasy before. And so what does that mean, right? So what's the right. psychology behind a first person versus a third person perspective? And I what does
1: that do I sense you? a new book, a new <laughs> book topic? <laughs> Ooh. We have to end even though. It goes against all my fantasies to end this right now. Can't
2: we talk right about here? Republicans? Yes.
1: Oh, wait. We, yeah, we, sure. we're not— we Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. That. Go. Okay. I am apologize. Get into that. We're not mm. missing that.
2: So, Republicans in general had more taboo sexual fantasies. Like? Like— Voyeurism, infidelity. Uh, They also had more fantasies about orgies and and multi partner sex, Um, more fantasies about going to strip clubs, like all of these sorts of taboos,
1: transgression.
2: That if you're Republican, you're told you're not supposed to do those things. Yeah,
1: right. If you're buttoned down and socially conservative, you want to transgress.
2: Yes. And swinging and cuckolding were also more popular fantasies among Republicans. Um, Now, Democrats, the only thing they really fantasized about more was BDSM right? Uh, Of course. Because look at
1: us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And so the way I interpret both of those um, patterns of results is that ultimately we're all turned on by what we're told we're not supposed to do. Mm. And so for Republicans, it's about you know, you have all these restrictions on your sexuality and who you can be with, how many partners you can have and so forth. And so that's what's what's turning them on. And for Democrats, they're they're very much told to believe in these ideals of equality and a mm-hmm. level playing field. And right. so playing with power is a taboo. Right. And it becomes very appealing to them.
0: Oh, that is so you hear interesting. that out there?
1: Just mm-hmm. don't forget to vote in twenty twenty. That's all I have to say. <laughs> with this in mind. Whatever your, your head. fantasy, just vote in twenty twenty v- vote with your fantasy in mind. <laughs> That's a good one. Justin, how can people find you and your work? They can read your great articles. Um Advice and on playboy.com. How else can we find you?
2: I also run a blog. It's called Sex and Psychology. And it's, it's so good. It's at sexandpsychology.com. I've been running it every... I, I write for it three days a week, every week since 2011. And so there's thousands of articles on there at this point.
1: And you're also a prolific tweeter.
2: Yes. <laughs> you can follow me on all the social medias uh, and uh, links to my books. Social media, everything is on my website, sexandpsychology.com. And if you
1: want to see how cute sex researchers are, you want to have a look at Justin's Instagram.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, you had a workout with a super hot trainer today.
2: I did. How um, is that? So, uh, you know, you can choose any trainer you want, but I actually chose the most sex-positive trainer I could find. You chose the most
0: sex, sex, sex <laughs> trainer uh, that you trainer. could find. ever I mean,
2: seen. Sexy uh, trainers in New York are a dime a dozen, but trainers who understand that, you know, one of the keys to having better sex is physical fitness, right? Right. Yeah. yeah I like that.
1: All that erectile tissue. Yes. Stay in health.
2: But it's also good for you psychologically, yeah. right? Because when you Feel good about yourself and how you look, that increases self confidence, and so you're more confident in the bedroom. So, uh, you know, I'm happy to support sex positive people wherever I can.
1: <laughs> oh my I god! Love that. <laughs> yes, that justify it. anything. There you Come go, sex positive <laughs> trainer. You're living the dream. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Justin, and thank you for writing. Tell me what you want, mm-hmm. everybody. You must read the book. You will love it, and it will set you free. Absolutely. Have some fun. Thanks, Justin. Thank you.
0: such a fun episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And if you did, please go on to iTunes and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Um, It really helps the success of the podcast and spreading this message. Much love, guys.